משהו, בזרק הרוח. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صل على سيدنا ونبينا ويان آية 48 سورة السبع سورة لما 34 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل إن ربي يقذف بالحق علام الغيوب Say, O Muhammad indeed my Lord, he hurls and he propels the haq against the Baltic. That's what's implied there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he brings down ayat revelation and his other signs into existence into people's observation and that what he does is the haq through the haq the real and the reality Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he brings anything into existence it is always with the truth the ultimate truth and reality Why? Because he is the one who always knows the secrets and the hidden affairs of everything. Allam is someone who knows constantly and continuously and intensely also everything. Al-Ghuyub, that which is not perceivable to the human mind, to the human eye, both. Not just the intangibles, but also the imperceivables, and also that which is inconceivable. All of that. Al-Ghuyub, that's what Al-Ghayb means. Al-Ghayb in relation to the human being. What is ghayb in relation to Allah? Nothing. Allah knows everything. So nothing is in the ghayb for Allah. In relation to human, then it depends who you are and where you are in the, you know, the curve of your life and your progress. So what's ghayb for a child that is born is much more than what is ghayb for a child who is six years old or seven. Then what is ghayb, meaning imperceivable, unknowable, intangible, inconceivable to an adolescence, is not so for someone who is 40 years old and is mature. And that which is now more obvious to a 70-year-old person may not be that easily accessible to a 40-year-old. So the ghayb is going to be somewhat reduced as you gain knowledge and experience over time. Now, we don't know what happens in the grave, but Allah does. So, the grave, the world of the grave, is ghayb for us. It is unknown for us, unseen, imperceivable, inconceivable. It is beyond our perception, beyond our conception. 
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave knowledge of the world of the graves to the prophets, alayhi salam. So he hurls the knowledge of the ghaib with the truth to the prophets. Inna rabbi yaqdifu bilhaq. That is the yaqdifu, to throw with force and might, except this is directed, it is guided, it is not misguided, and it is not random. Okay. So it comes upon the, the mind and the ruh of the Nabi. And the Nabi then relates from the Allah al-Ghuyub, the one who is the, the knower of everything that is hidden, to every human being and to all human beings, both. Mm. Yeah. So, when we say, I disagree with uh, whatever Muslims say, happens in the grave. Is, well, you don't have access to what happens in the grave. How can you disagree with something you don't know anything about? Right? So if a seven-year-old is sitting there arguing with you uh, about some uh, algorithm that you know at the age of 40, so, well, yeah, well, he's just a kid. What's the point of me arguing with him? Fine. Right. So likewise, mature adults who disagree with the Nabi about the Nabi's knowledge. Okay? They're being very childish. Because the Nabi has access to knowledge that other human beings do not have access to. That is the meaning of propelling the Haq uh, through the Ghaib and from the Ghaib. So people must realize this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs human beings through the institution of a Nabi. Yeah. Yeah. So it is piecemeal. So what happens? Yaqdifu is suggesting to us that even with a Nabi, the whole ghaib is not disclosed. The whole of the unseen is not given to the Nabi at one time. It is periodically as the occasions dictate or as Allah wants to and the Nabi has access to knowledge of the ghaib, knowledge of the unseen, only when Allah wants him to. Right? But in that one moment in which Allah gives the Nabi access to a certain uh, precept, concept, aqidah of the ghaib, that is so huge that human beings would not be able to fathom the depth of the knowledge that comes in that one moment. So you're left in awe. Uh, the idea that the Prophet ﷺ passed by two graves in Medina and uh, he said uh, they are being punished for something that is not major, it's minor. How did he know that? How did he see that? How did he perceive that? How did he conceive that? That's all the way. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the knowledge and he gave him the ability to see because his faculties were heightened, his senses were heightened as a Nabi, so he's able to see what others don't see. But that does not make him Alimul Ghaib, who? The Prophet says. It doesn't make him the person who knows the Ghaib, absolutely, because the Ghaib is so huge. So huge. MashaAllah. Right. How do we know this? Because Allah, the Prophet said in the long hadith of Shafa'ah on the Day of Judgment, finally I will go into Sajdah. And when I go into Sajdah, 
I will be praising Allah through all the names and all the accolades that I know. And then Allah will inspire in me knowledge that I don't have here about his might, his power, and his names and attributes. That will be new knowledge given to me on the Day of Judgment. Right, so now, the Prophet's knowledge grows in every realm of existence also. And that's the meaning of Say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. So the Prophet's knowledge increases. Likewise, our knowledge is subject to the Prophet's knowledge. Whatever we can know as his ummah is under the umbrella of what he already knows. We can't know anything more than what the Prophet already knows. It's not possible. Why? If that was possible, then you would be a Nabi. And no one claims to be a Nabi. Hopefully. <laughs> Otherwise you'd be a non-Muslim. You wouldn't be a Muslim. So, under the umbrella of Nabuwa and Prophethood of Muhammad Wasallam, we know. What do we know? We know whatever the Quran tells us. So how do we know anything about the unseen? Through the Quran this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now gives us knowledge of the khayb. That is on one affair. Affairs of the aqidah, your theology and your theism, and affairs of your ahkam in the dunya, your sharia, your rules and regulations, your do's and don'ts. There's another type of knowledge which is in the world, in the, in the cone, the cosmos, and that is knowledge of how uh, things will be knowledge of the past, uh, knowledge of the future, knowledge of the rules and regulations of the cosmos and you know nature, whatever you like to call it. Mm. That this works this way and this works this way. Right. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala also gave some knowledge of what's going to happen in this world and in the other world and on the day of judgment to the prophets, Alaihissalam, and what happened before. We were born. So knowledge of the cosmos is also through wahi, which is not perceivable, nor conceivable uh, by and to any other human being. For instance, the Quran speaks of how the heavens and earth were once one. That is knowledge of the ghayb. No human being, through speculation, can sit down, unless it's after millenniums of speculation, and then decide that the heavens and the earth were once one. And then Allah separated the two. Whatever name you want to give to that. Process. It doesn't matter. It's not a theory for us. It's an aqidah. It's a dogma. Why? Because the Quran speaks of it. When the Quran speaks of it, it is knowledge of the ghayb. And Allah gives this knowledge of the ghayb through wahi in the Quran to the Prophet wasallam. So we are obligated as Muslims to believe that. But which human beings are able to access that? Only a Nabi. So knowledge of what came before us, how the universe was created, how it came all about, the origins of the universe, the origins of man, how man was created, what was he created from, where was he when he was created, the knowledge of human beings before they came into the mother's womb, the knowledge of human beings when the human being is in the mother's womb. All of this is the ghayb. 
for I would say 99.99% of the humans. Right? The fascinating discoveries of the modern age, the 20th, 20th century, 21st centuries, notwithstanding, there's maybe a minuscule of human beings who know the details of modern day science and technology in comparison to the billions who don't know. Would you agree? Yeah. Who make it, who makes it to the colleges in this country and then who makes it to the uh, master's degree and the PhD level and then who makes it to the journals of research and writing? It's minuscule. Very, very few. Now you can say that's an accomplishment, fine, if you say oh, minuscule's accomplishment is good, that's fine, okay. I don't mind that. That's between you and your ratio, your proportions of how you decide human beings have advanced. But the knowledge thereof, of how the DNA works and what's under the DNA, that is restricted to very, very few people. Knowledge of how Allah created the universe is in the Quran. It is universal. Everybody who reads it must believe it because it's why without speculating, without arguing, without denying, without rejecting, without questioning. Why? Because the Qur'an is wahi, it came from the grave. Likewise, knowledge of what's going to happen to us in the grave and on the Day of Judgment, and then knowledge of what's going to happen before the Day of Judgment, known as Ashrat al-Sa'ah, Alamat al-Sa'ah, as in the Hadith of Jibreel and in the Qur'an also. What's going to happen before the Day of Judgment? So the Prophet was given knowledge of human behavior and phenomena before the Day of Judgment, which he expressed in many hadith, known as our eschatology, end of times, and then all of that. So we see, Allah says, قُلْ إِنَّ رَبِّي يَقْذِفُ بِالْحَقِّ Say, O Muhammad the my Lord, who increases me in knowledge every day, he is the one who propels the haqq, the truth. Why? Because he is Allamul Ghuyub. He constantly and eternally knows all the ghayb. Ghuyub here is in the plural. So he says, ghayb. He knows the ghayb in abstract. Ghuyub means every detail of the ghayb. And he sends down this detail of the ghayb in piecemeal. Over time, one after another, one aqidah after another aqidah after another, until it becomes one, and you get to the level where you understand Hadith Jibreel as one whole understanding of prophethood and Islam and the Deen and so on. That occurred at the late uh, hours of Medina, not in the early hours. Right? This is how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala raised the knowledge of the Prophet now, within the confines of this world, certain details may appear to certain other human beings in the form of a dream, of an experience, of a deja vu. We don't consider that to be the ghayb. If you have a dream, and uh, tomorrow your dream is true, that's not the ghayb. That's not the unseen, because that is perceivable to you. Anything that you can perceive and conceive is not the ghayb. What is the ghayb? Ghayb is anything that is beyond your perception, beyond your conception as a human species. Okay, without prophethood. 
And even with prophethood, the access of the ghaib is limited to Allah's uh, discretion. Right? It's pinned against Allah's discretion. So, if somebody says, well, this person here has true dreams and deja vu and premonitions, and he must be someone of a great wali of Allah. No. That is not the criterion, because that's not ghaib. If a non-Muslim can have a true dream, then why are you saying that? Oh, he must be a very, very nice person close to God because he has these visions. Because your definition of the ghaib is not correct. You understand? Yes, the definition of the ghaib is that which a normal human being, outside of a prophet, is not able to perceive nor conceive. That's the definition of the ghaib. Either through your senses or your mind or reason or intuition, or a dream, or uh, ESP, uh, extrasensory perception. That is now the definition of ghaib, as a Muslim should observe it in the Qur'an, so that you're not misled. Again, as you remember, in the story of Suleiman, salam and the jinn, saying that they have access to the ghaib, right? If you talk to a jinn, and the jinn may tell you this, that is not the ghaib that they're bringing. It's either about events that have either occurred or their projections and predictions based on what they already understand about human behavior. So when a doctor analyzes and diagnoses you and says that you have this illness or God forbid this disease and he tells you you're going to die, God forbid, or you're going to become more sick. He's not uh, predicting the ghaib. That's just human experience giving you the ability to analyze and forecast. That is plausible. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yeah. So the Suleiman story tells us that the jinn could not even perceive the death of Suleiman while he was in a glass sanctuary. And he had died or he had left this world and he was still standing on his cane. And they could not even see that which was in front of them. How can you say that they know what's not in front of them? Right. Yeah, so that, that's how we see this ayah has been part of the whole construct of Saba, uh, Sheba, and uh, you know the story of the, the town and the city and the civilization. That you don't know what's going to happen to you in the future, but Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given this haq to the prophets, alayhim salam. And they have also forecasted that if you do this, this is going to happen. And if you do this, this is going to happen. And if you do this, this is going to happen. So their forecasting is based on wahi, knowledge that came with the haq from the ghayb. And we must also believe in that forecasting and that prediction also. This is the message. Say, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the haq, the truth has come. It has arrived already in the Quran and in the Sunnah. And all falsehood that you worship is not going to be able to initiate anything that you wish, neither in the form of knowledge nor in the form of creation that they can create. Nor can they return it back to its former mode and mood and model of existence. Yeah. So, 
whatever we know in the cosmos and in our lives is subject to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. Without his permission, nothing works. If you are going to worship Allah, then you must worship Allah because he is the haqq. He is the real. He is the ultimate reality. If you are in the auspices of the haqq, the ultimate reality, then you will come out with the haqq from your worship. But if you're not in the auspices of the haqq when you're worshipping, then nothing will come forth from that worship. So a Muslim must be able to benefit from the presence of the haqq in salat. Again, that is the understanding of ihsan in the hadith of Jibreel. That with Ihsan you may be in the presence of the Haqq. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you are seeing Him. And if you're not seeing Him, He's seeing you. So there must be some communication of the Haqq there in Salat, so that when you come out of Salat, you're able to effect others with the Haqq, and yourself with the Haqq. But if you come out from that presence of the Haqq, then this ayah applies to you. Also, وَمَا يُبْدِئُ الْبَاطِلُ that if you have come out with the batil, something that is false from your salat, you will not be able to initiate or originate anything. Nobody will like you. <laughs> Nobody will believe you. Things won't get done. You'll always be uh, a day short and a day late uh, in everything you do. And you won't be able to repeat anything that you have lost and all of that. So what I'm saying is that this ayah, although the primary audience are the kuffar of Mecca and Quraysh, we are also part of the audience because we are reading the ayah. So whenever the haqq comes, meaning whenever we read an ayah of the Quran, which is the haqq, we must benefit from the haqq by being able to be in the presence of the haqq and the real and the reality, and then influence ourselves at least after reading and influence others if we need to by applying and by the processes of dua and so on. Okay? So this is a reminder for all Muslims that every word of the Quran is the haqq which came from the ghaib, the unseen. The human mind is not able to conceive nor perceive any word or letter of the Quran. So this is the ultimate haqq. haqq in front of us. قُلْ إِنْ ضَلَلْتُ فَإِنَّمَا أَضِلُّ عَلَى نَفْسِي Say, O Muhammad that if I am misguided, then I have misguided myself against myself. Yeah, that I have wronged myself and I am the one who is misguided. So my guidance is through the haqq, the real Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and when I'm guided, it is because if I'm misguided, then it is a mistake of mine. Mm. Yeah. So I take full responsibility, and I don't exonerate myself. I'm not going to pass on the buck to someone else and blame it on God, or blame it on the devil, or blame it on the environment, or the pollutants, or blame it on social pressure, or political issues. I'm going to take responsibility of my own misguidance. That's the idea. So we we must take responsibility for what happens to us in terms of guidance and misguidance. 
So this misguidance is because of me. And if I'm guided, then it is because of what my Lord is inspiring me and revealing to me. So here the Prophet ﷺ acknowledges that his knowledge of the haqq is from wahi. <coughs> he is saying this as perhaps the best human being before Nabuwa, that he was the best citizen, if you want to call it that, of Mecca at that time at the age of 40. And post Nabuwa, after 40 years old, when he was already a wise intellectual a person, he is saying that my guidance in terms of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is from my Lord. Okay. My declaration of La ilaha illallah was there before Nabuwa, and my declaration of Muhammad Rasulullah is because of Wahi, not because of my experience and my kindness and my generosity and so on. Okay. So this is one way that, that the the message to the kuffar of Mecca and also to mankind today is that when we say Islam is a true religion, it's not because uh, it is based on human experience or speculation or centuries and millenniums of trial and error. It is based on wahi given to one man. Right? We don't claim wahi came to us. We believe wahi came to Rasulullah sallam. And that is how we believe we are guided. So he who speaks on behalf of Islam, the Prophet That's the one who speaks on behalf of Islam. He's still there. Right? Hasn't died. That's why he's Muhammad Rasulullah. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. You don't translate Muhammad Rasulullah as Muhammad was. That's grammatically incorrect and theologically incorrect both. Right. Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. He is still the Rasul of Allah. He still represents Allah. Who are we? We are his followers. So we follow the message given to Muhammad So when the Quraysh heard this and the people of Mecca heard this, then they had no answer or response to this because they say he's not saying that he's guiding us. And he's not saying that this guidance that he claims he has is because of his own experience. He's saying that someone else who is his Lord is doing this. Indeed, he is the one who hears everyone and everything. And indeed, he is the one who is close, very close to all human beings equally. So it is for the human being to now make dua and believe Allah listens to his petition, his solicitation his uh, call and his request and his demands. So you worship the same Lord as Muhammad just as Allah heard him, he also hears us. Qareeb. And indeed he is close and he is never far away from the human being. We are closer to you, meaning the human being, than the jugular vein. When my servant questions you about me, tell him that I am close. So when you know someone is close to you, then you may speak and address that person. 
by saying Allahumma Ya Rabbi Oh my Lord Oh Allah oh Allah means that he's not, he's not far away he's here so worship the one who listens and worship the one who's close you can't worship the one who does not listen nor can you worship someone who's far away from you removed no. both in the Husami and Qareeb the two yeah, what you call attributes of Allah mentioned at the end of the ayah gives us a sense of how to ask for guidance how to seek guidance and I'm stuck on this issue I don't know what to do you ask Allah to help you and the help will come either that you have uh, some vision in a dream or you have a thought that helps you clarify what it is you want to do or you should do or you have a discussion with somebody uh, and then that someone tells you this is what you should do. Help is always there if you ask. Right? But if you believe that no, God doesn't help because he doesn't talk to me. <laughs> then he's not supposed to talk to you. He's supposed to provide you with guidance. Providing with guidance doesn't come by him talking to you. It comes through the human uh, vehicle which I just mentioned, the human experience. What's the human experience? That you have mashwara. Mashwara is what? That you consult people. Or you sit down and you think about it. That's the fakkur. And the third is sikhara. That can make it sikhara. Three ways. So you should use all three to make sure you know you're on the right track. If you're able to do so, it must make sense on the ground also. Right? God said that I must go and dig a hole in Timbuktu. No. I don't think so. If I saw in my vision, my Sikhalism, no, it doesn't mean that. It means something else. Get the uh, vision interpreted first, or you ask people. People have experience within you. People who know that this is right or wrong, or this is a sin, or this is not a sin. That's how you are going to get your Hidayah guidance from Allah. So Allah is not going to come down from above the arsh and come out from within you and say, "This is I am God, I'm, I want you to do this. He doesn't do that. Right? So you mustn't expect that. Either. I asked God and God didn't tell me. Well, maybe he told you, but you weren't listening. He listened, but you didn't listen. Why? Well, somebody told you don't do it. And you still went ahead and did it. Uh, that's not God's fault. That's yours. You didn't listen to what the guidance was in the first place. Okay? So in, in, in the world of cause and effect, you have to use all the causes so that you get the desired effect. Now guidance doesn't always mean that you will be told that what you want to do is the best thing for you. Which is usually the problem. Right? We want people to tell us what it is we want to do and validate us and then we want to see a vision and a dream which validates what it is we want to do in the first place. Then if that's the case, then just do it. Why bother? Hmm. You don't have to beat around the bush. You made up your mind, you want to do this, ask Allah. Allah put barakah in this uh, and save me from any kind of calamities or disasters. And Bismillah, take the initiative. Anyway, what I'm saying here is that guidance and misguidance according to this ayah, is because of what we do. Yeah. 
So, in the case of misguidance, we don't say God misguided me, because that is against Adab. Right? That's against Adab. You don't say that as a civilization. You don't say that as someone who believes that Allah loves you and cares for you and guides you and so on. Because then your guidance may not come at all. When you do hit the spot, then you say it is Allah's fadl and Allah's rahmah and Allah's idhan and permission that allowed me to do this tawfiq. So then you have a, a moral obligation to appropriate the uh, credit and the blame where it needs to be. You can't appropriate blame to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's a sign of misguidance. When you start blaming God for everything, that in itself is what? Misguidance. And that goes against you. It doesn't work in favor of you. Alright? And if you were to see the time uh, on the Day of Judgment, where they will be uh, not necessarily paralyzed, but in, in fight. Fright and that may lead to paralysis. That's right. There's more of a fright factor in the word faza <coughs> than being rendered incapable. Yeah. At that time when the trumpet is blown and you're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are just frightened, terrified, then you know there is no escape from that moment. And then, And then they will be seized from a place that is close, meaning nothing will be far for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the Day of Judgment, as it's not far for him here. So just as in the previous ayah, you saw the word Qareeb, Allah is close, likewise on the Day of Judgment, everything will seem so close to you. So close to you. Because Allah will be close to you there also. But you don't want him to be close with anger. You want him to be close with his pleasure. And that's the difference. So when the anger comes, God forbid, then there will be a perceived distance. Farness, which is what I mentioned here. And then at that time, they will realize that they have to believe. And they will say, that now indeed we do believe that you are Lord and we should have done this, but then it's too late because your whole life you have rejected the idea of being guided by God. So perpetually in your 70, 80 years life, whatever Allah gives you, inshallah, uh, you, you have rejected the idea that God guides me. Uh, oh, God is close to me. Oh, God listens to me. Since you have rejected everything in your life, today, now, you will be rejected. This is cause and effect. The cause for rejection on the Day of Judgment was affected by what? Man's rejection of God in the world. So you carry over the same sentiment and emotion and psyche when you are transferred into the other world. Nothing changes. You're the same. You don't change. Right. So you, you, you are this way in this world, you will be the same in the barzakh, the world of the graves, you will be the same on the day of judgment. So since you are the same person, and you are still going to be in a sense of denial and rejection, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will then say, وَأَنَّا لَهُمُ التَّنَاوُشُ 
But how can they now go out into the darkness and capture something from a very far distance? Far place, meaning their rejection is far from their acceptance. Makanim Ba'id is their rejection of Allah. So when you reject Allah, that means Allah is very far away from you. Right? Intellectually, mentally, psychologically, spiritually, in every which way, you have rejected God, so now God does not exist in your mind at all, in your reality, albeit a false reality. He doesn't exist. So how can you capture God from this false place? Because you need to be close to Allah so that you may now see and observe what the reality and the truth is. Tanawush means to grab and to take. So usually you use Tanawush to grab and grab something within you. So this glass is here, this mushaf is here, the microphone is here. So I, I can have now, I have the ability to grasp anything within upon this table. But I can't grab and grasp anything over there. Right? So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, on the Day of Judgment, since uh, the rejection of Allah in the dunya may place them in a position that is very, very far away from Allah, that will carry over. On the Day of Judgment, their prior rejection of God will make them feel that he's so far away and we can't reach him and so on. Although Allah is close. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what's mentioned in the next ayah. And indeed, they had committed kufr with him, against him. Before, before this time, they were in a state of total, absolute denial. And now they want to believe that will not happen. And to finish off the discussion today where we started, they will try to hurl with their conjectures and their speculations and their guesses and estimations about Allah on that day from a very far place. In this dunya, they would do this. So in this dunya, in this world, what would they do? They would speculate about theism, theology, about the origins of man, the origins of the universe, about whether God exists or doesn't exist, and what's going to happen to man after time, and so on. What is time? What is this, this, and that? And my life is regulated by me and no one else. And, you know, so there's a يَقْذِفُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ So human beings trying to imitate and mimic God, they do this also. They throw things into the dark. Ghayb here means darkness, not knowledge, it's speculation. That you are throwing darts in the dark, so to speak. Right? Taking aim in the dark and shooting from the hips and all of that. These are meanings of this phrase here. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Then the ayah we started with, 48. Say, my Lord, he propels with the truth. Then when he informs human beings, it is the truth. Human beings in this world, when they reject God, they don't throw with the truth, they throw with speculation, estimation, approximations, guesses, and all of that, which I just mentioned.
So now, the natija and the conclusion of this uh, speculative or attempt to understand reality in the cosmos is what? That they rejected him before. As I said, if you don't believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or God Almighty, is there and he doesn't, and that he has the ability to guide you, then uh, that is now that you're shooting in the dark. Right? And any guess you make is always going to land wherever it lands, nowhere. All the time. So without Tawheed, without understanding that there is one God, and first of all, without understanding that God does exist, the more. And without believing that there is one God, Tawheed, and without believing that Allah Himself has guided us through a human being, you kind of, you're left. You're left bereft, isolated, on an island of ignorance and speculation for your whole life. And you are mesmerized by your failures, one after another, in every department of life. Nothing works for you. You're always in the dark, always in the darkness, always guessing, always second guessing, always blaming others. Always then eventually you blame God. And that's the end of your fate. Your fate is sealed. Right. So these ayat, they resonate to the Muslim uh, of today in such a way that they resonated to the Ahli Makkah, people of Makkah at that time when they were initially revealed. That's why the Quran speaks the truth at all times. The truth in the Quran is the bayan, is an explanation of man's mm, reality and man's life. So the Quran is a revelation. It reveals who we are and where we are. That's the revelation. This is Wahi. When you read Wahi, this is what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to reveal who we are and it also gives a solution. What's the solution? Innahu Samiyun Qareeb. He listens and he's close. Ask him. That's all you have to do is ask him. Right. But then he must follow through where the response may be. Okay. The response that you must seek in the world through human beings, consultation, through your own understanding, your reasoning, and through your own logic, and then sometimes through other human experiences like intuition, a sixth sense, or your dreams. Now, n- n- all of those tools by which you're going to be guided are not necessarily always correct. But if your niya is correct and sincere, inshallah, you will find a way. Because that's the meaning of guide us onto the right path in every affair, every issue, every matter. Sometimes Allah will favor you, hopefully all the time, inshallah. And sometimes it may not be the way you think it is, then you have to move on. That's just human life. Okay. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair for coming. We'll see you all soon. Subhanallah. Alhamdulillah.